On today's episode of Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Stars sports podcast, we get the columnists here. Well, we get one. Vahe Gregorian's in town. Sam Mellinger is on vacation this week. Vahe and I talk about the lack of joy in the Kansas City sports teams, but we found it in other places, in other sports. Stay tuned for Sports Beat KC. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. So I'm on my way to work today, and today is Monday. It's late in the afternoon on on June 17th. And I was thinking, you know, with the Royals, they did win Sunday, but lost two out of three to the Twins and are mired in last place in the division. Sporting KC is close to the bottom of, of the conference, something we're not used to seeing at all. So if you're a sports fan in Kansas City, you've got to find your sports joy elsewhere. And we did have some of that. Over the weekend, right? Gary Woodland wins the U.S. Open, the Topeka native who went to KU. The Women's World Cup had another victory on, on Sunday, and the television ratings in Kansas City were, were pretty high for that. The Blues celebrated their Stanley Cup uh, championship with a parade on Saturday. We'll talk about that later as well. But we're here with Vahe Gregorian, the columnist of the Kansas City Star, and I want to circle back with talk about the Royals a little bit. And I, I want to do that because you had a chance to spend some time with Dayton Moore, the general manager, today. What was that about, and why um, what, did you did you come away from that feeling a little differently about the Royals? Well, it's really interesting, Blair. You know, one of the things I, I, our audience probably knows is Dayton is is remarkably accessible and I think pretty pretty transparent, and uh, it's almost always worth spending time with them. You can be around them just on a personal level too. I think it, it's actually always a learning experience as, as, a, as a human being. Today, it, it's the fifth, the fifth year in a row his See You in the Major Leagues Foundation has done a clinic or a camp, I should say, at the Jewish Community Center. And I think it's worth, worth mentioning this at any time. You know, every time I drive in that, that lot, I, I have to admit, I think of the, the shooting there five years ago, the horrible tragedy. And Dayton spoke to that right away. And Brought up Reed Underwood and William Corporon and, and of course Terry Lamano, who who was killed elsewhere, um, but all in the same umbrella. And and I think that's a good thing for us to pause and think about. Just remember their names and think about them. But the rest of it was he was sort of uh, there were a bunch of us there, reporters, maybe ten, twelve people, TV stations, and we kind of got a um, um, little stream of consciousness with him, just sort of talking about the state of things. And one of the things that's very interesting and part of the focus of what I'll write about be writing about, am writing about, have written, is that um, I think he was taking a little strength from the kids in in hearing his own words, trying to reinforce those words to himself and the messages he's trying to give the kids about moving forward, you know, not acting like you're not staying down, not staying wounded when things are going poorly. And so that was one of the things that, that was a little bit my takeaway, as horrendous as the Royals have been. I mean, he's he's very much trying to be the same person and there's value in that to me. I mean, it's not the same as getting this team right, but it, there's value in that and, and in, the, in, the, in the big arc of things. Um, among the highlights of things he talked about were, uh, he said this different times in different ways, but I, I thought that he said it pretty explicitly today that they're not gonna look to move and most likely won't move any of the guys that they have control over uh, after this year which we've heard some back and forth on that. Um, some speculation, yeah. for sure, and, 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 and I think informed speculation. Yeah, I think it is informed speculation for sure, but but I think you know the, the, their pendulum has swung a little bit on this, and I think 
it, we did talk specifically about Whit Merrifield because right now you, you could call him one of the best players in baseball or certainly in the top 10, 12, somewhere of that nature. Could help other teams. And Dayton basically made it sound like the, the asking price for him would be astronomical if they're even going to consider it. So, you know, he said a few things with that. And the other the other thing that I'll stop this one one answer, which is just one big ramble. Sorry, Blair. But we did get into Bubba Starling a little bit. And he says Bubba Starling is still the most asked question he's ever got as general manager of the Royals. And he, he looked at me at one point and, said, and remembered that we had traveled over to a prison together last year and said that, that you know, he remembered the question coming up in prison, um, <laughs> which was funny. But his stance on Bubba was interesting. I mean, I think what he was trying to get across is we don't want him thinking about coming up. We don't want him looking over his shoulder. We just want him to play. But it was really kind of funny at the end. He kind of dangled this little thing out there that sort of suggested just when you don't expect it, maybe it'll be time for him. That's interesting because it was just a week or so, maybe within the last two weeks, there was some speculation about Bubba coming up. And when I guess when Jorge Bonifacio mm-hmm. you know, was, uh, was, was called up, that they thought uh, maybe that would be a spot for Bubba. And why would you not... You know, why would you not call up Bubba Starling there, someone who you do think might be part of the future? At least you want to get a look at. Yeah. I've seen Bonifacio, and yeah. and Bonifacio actually hit the ball well in, in, in his opportunities over the weekend. But anyway, uh, that was also interesting, what he what he said about players under control. Um, I, I, we've been asking for weeks who you know who might be uh, vulnerable to a trade, and, and Witt's name, Merrifield's name comes up. I, you always hear that... Um, that Mondesi and Dozier are the two untouchables, but it sounds like at least in Dayton Moore's mind, for the occasion that uh, where, where you spoke to him today, that they're, it's, a, it's a larger circle than that. I think so, and I I guess I would say he stopped short of saying no way we're trading wit, right? Mm-hmm. But he sure made it sound like you know, somebody's gonna have to give up an awful lot to get him. It is interesting with wit now. I mean, he's he's come into his own only in the last couple three years, but he's much older. I guess he's thirty. Um, right. Well, he's, he got the late start. You know, because of that. Right. But I mean, to the to the point of where he fits in the Royals' future. Right. You know, he might be having his best years, and I I, I hope his best years are in front of him. But he might be in the middle of his his most prime time now. He might be. I, I I've always hoped for him that he would be part of the the next Royals' rise. Me too. You know, and 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 he's certainly a terrific player, guy who led the majors in stolen bases and hits last year, even even at his age. So. Okay, so look forward to reading that story. Uh, a couple stories that uh, appeared in the, at least online on KansasCity.com today were the um, sort of the local angles of Gary Woodland winning the U.S. Open, and I got to tell you, I was uh, I was just riveted to the to the TV on Father's Day Sunday watching Gary Woodland. He went into the final round with I think it was a two-stroke lead, and and CBS or, or Fox, I guess Fox had the telecast reminded us that he had never won a tournament. He was 0 for 7 in tournaments in which he had had the lead after three rounds. So he was never able to close one out. And now he's got to do it at the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. And um, and uh, so here's Gary Woodland. I don't think the country knew anything about him, right? Uh, he's he's a Topeka, Shawnee Heights uh, High, uh, Topeka High, or a Topeka native, spent his first year in college at Washburn playing college basketball. Transfers to KU uh, and and, uh, and and then finishes at KU in 2007. So it was a 
it was just fun as all get out to watch him. I'm actually exchanging texts with both of my sons about golf. I don't think we'd ever done that before. Hmm. Both were uh, away, uh, and so we're exchanging texts in the afternoon about Gary Woodland's pursuit of the of the U.S. Open Championship, and he wins it in dramatic fashion. I mean, now he he had a two-stroke lead when he made the, or maybe a th- it was two-stroke lead when he made the birdie putt, the the thirty-foot or however long it was. But uh, but it was a wonderful moment for him. Great local story, and I just I just got off the phone with uh, some Fox folks, and Kansas City was the fifth highest rated TV <laughs> market for the final round of the U.S. Open. Which, I mean, that's uh, I don't I don't think that you know if Tiger Woods or Brooks Kepka or whoever else was in the lead, Kansas City would have been as interested in that. So, you know, going back to what I said earlier, you have to find your sports sports joy where you can, and that was a joyous occasion. Well, it was a joyous occasion, and and not to segue too much right away from that, Blair, but. That, that number five ranking is, it reminds me of the Blues situation because that's what it was all along for that. So it's kind of just an interesting parallel. Um, and you would have think thought from uh, from any of the, that I don't know how your Twitter feed is, is but mine's, you know, I'm sure yours is too, pretty Kansas City driven. Sure. And it, it looked like a national event that it is, but I mean, more so. I mean, it looked like uh, everybody here was watching. So uh, Jesse Newell, who covers KU for us, uh, got on the phone with Bill Self last night, and I talked to Bob Chipman, who's the, the Washburn basketball coach, and did a little story on that. So yeah, um, uh, so so Gary was uh, was a good basketball player, a good three point shooter. He, he was a, as a freshman guard. His it turns out his very first college basketball game was an exhibition against KU at Allen Fieldhouse. And one of his his uh, quotes after the after the winning the championship was he knew it was time to change sports <laughs> when he had to guard uh, Kirk Heinrich in at Allen Fieldhouse and that was a good Washburn team that was a team that uh, won 26 games but that was also the KU team that went to the national championship game turns out to be Roy Williams' last team but um, but fantastic I felt so good for him and I got to tell you if you have not seen the the video of uh, of of, of Gary and the, the the girl, I think her name was is it, Amy. I think it is Down, it, with Down syndrome, and it was it was uh, it occurred at, at, at a tournament in Phoenix uh, last earlier this year, I believe. And turns out she's she's a twenty year old who can golf. She's actually in college golfing now, junior college in Florida golfing. But she she's she's a decent little golfer, and she hit the ball off the tee she she hit a you know nice shot out of the sand she sank like an 8 foot putt and just just charmed everybody and 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 gary was uh, he he could not have been more gracious and excited for her and 20 million people have seen this video on uh, on youtube but if you haven't seen it go watch it um, i don't know if that video makes it clear i saw another video but i, I do you know offhand Blair, how that relationship started are they just are they kind of neighbors I don't, or, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you know, she's okay. she's actually in college in Florida. I mean, he's from Kansas. Uh, the tournament was in Arizona. I don't know where the where the reach out happened. Yeah. But at some point, yeah. it, it did occur, and it was uh, it's gold. It, it just is. So um, so it, there was it was so much fun watching him on Sunday, and we've gotten some pretty good luck with the golf majors. There's been three so far this year because the PGA has moved moved its. It moved on the calendar, and we had Tiger Woods winning the Masters, and Brooks Kepka, who I think is the most dominant golfer, you know, on the scene today, winning the PGA, and now, um, and now Gary with the um, with, with the uh, U.S. Open, his first major, the the, the local product. Our friends uh, at the Post Dispatch reminded me. I think Dave Matter might have tweeted this that that uh, 
Gary kind of endeared himself to the people at Belle Reve last year because he uh, he had a little sense of humor with the uh, he was getting a lot of MIZ stuff. Oh, that, I remember over that. there. Yeah, 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 and he he played along and and uh, and uh, I think he, he got a little St. Louis um, St. Louis boost in this uh, in these ratings too. Very good. All right, Vahe, let's uh, let's take a break. And um, this is the time when you'll hear me have a, a promotion for the Kansas City Star. So listen to me for another couple of minutes, and we'll be right back with Vahe Gregorian. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State. And no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town, just eight cents a day or $2.50 a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com slash SportsPass. All right, Vahe Gregorian is here, and we mentioned that Gary Woodland's championship uh, final round did a great television number in the Kansas City market. So did the first two Women's World Cup games. Now, I can easily understand why Gary Woodland would, would post a good number in Kansas City. This is his hometown big market. But there is no, there is no Kansas City women's professional team here anymore. But Kansas City had the the highest television rating for the 13 to nothing victory over Thailand in their first game, and the fourth highest rating uh, in the country for the three nothing victory over Chile in the second game. So I'm I'm impressed by that. And in a year where soccer, because of Sporting's lack of success, you would you might think is um, you know maybe the interest might be dipping a little bit. At least the television ratings suggest otherwise for the. For the Women's World Cup, and I know that um, you know we're just a couple blocks away from the Power and Light District, where they have watch parties, and so I think it reinforces the idea that Kansas City is indeed a, you know a, interested in soccer. Um, the, the next uh, the next World Cup game is Thursday against Sweden, the end of pool play. But have you watched any of it, Vahe? And and I, I know we we're, we can't avoid talking about the you know the, the big. So celebration. I don't want to call it a controversy. It wasn't. It was a discussion um, of the USA celebrating all 13 of its goals in, in the in the first uh, in its first round game. But how much of this has you have you been able to watch? I, I've been following it. I, I really found myself thinking a lot about the the 13 nothing game and a, a lot of different levels. It, it's actually a very interesting topic. Not necessarily controversy, but I think it's it it lends itself to discussion because you can you can see it through many different lenses. Um, I think. That in general, the point you made is, is of course, spot on. It, it really reflects Kansas City's interest in the game. But it's an interesting question to me, too, Blair, and maybe you can break this down a little bit. How much is the audience... There, I'm sure there's a baseline of soccer interest, right, that crosses gender. But is the women's soccer audience a, a different audience in a lot of ways than the men's soccer audience? That's a good question. We'll, we'll have to ask Sam McDowell that, who covers sporting for us, and just sort of what, what he sees when he goes to sporting Kansas City games. I, I knew, I, I, I seem to recall that when the when you had FC uh, Kansas City here, the, the women's team, 
Uh, they did pretty well, mm-hmm. uh, and they were certainly successful on the field. They were the two-time champion of the league, but this is the second year they have. I think it's the second year they haven't been here, second or third year. Um, but look, a kudos to to Kansas Cityans for for paying attention, for watching. I um, uh, I, I was interested in uh, the following some of the commentary after uh, Team USA won its opener and celebrated all 13 goals as if each of them were the first career goal for any of those players. And heck, Alex Morgan alone had five, what, five or six. So the USA responded in its second game. Right? Carly Lloyd had a couple of goals and and after kind of an initial burst of excitement, uh, did a golf clap. <laughs> that was her response to you know, her little, little polite golf clap. Will that, will that shut you up, critics? That, this is for you. The only, the only thing I thought about during this was, you know, I, I'm all, celebrations are great. I, and I think this falls under the unwritten rule that you and I talked about a couple months ago with baseball fights, you know, with the unpitching inside. Unwritten. I think celebrating goals falls under unwritten rules. What are you supposed to do? And I think if, if they had thought about it, the, the, what the women should have done is come up with some sort of choreographed celebration, the way we have accepted it in football, right? And the Chiefs have been great at it over the last few years. They've had some of the better, really oh. some of the better ones. Absolutely, they have. And I, when you say that, I immediately think of the, the, the potato sack I race love in, the potato in Dallas. Sack race. That, was, that, that, that goes right to the top for it, me. It, same, yeah. But we've seen the, we've seen bowling, you know, the, the, the bowling alley. <laughs> we've seen all sorts. So it seemed to me that the women missed an opportunity here to... Um, you know, to come up with something, some kind of routine after you know goals two through thirteen. Well, and to your point, it, the idea being a routine because I don't think they could have had thirteen, you know, versions of it ready to go. <laughs> <Right>. I, I, <laughs> but it is funny. Let me go back to one part of this a little bit, which is you know we've seen this all the time in in many times covering the football teams we do, uh, college ones particularly, things that get a little carried away. Gosh, those first Kansas teams, I don't think you were here yet, but wasn't there a game, It was. I can't remember if it was Kansas or Kansas State down at Auburn where they, they put Supposedly on the running had clock. had the running clock in the second half. You know, yeah. Things like that. I, I, you can't tell the team not to play its best. And you, the limited substitutions and all these sorts of things. I, I do wonder, though, if maybe it's a soccer thing where you just say, after a team scores 10 goals, we're just going to shut it down. I mean, do you do something like that? Is that worth thinking about? I, I don't know how you play keep away. You, I mean, you, you can play it in soccer. You can play keep away. But I, I think that's almost more insulting to the opponent than piling up goals to, it is. to I kick think it so. around among yourselves yeah. and just play keep away. And, and, and of course, you know, it, even if it's a glorified practice at that point, you still want to work on your habits and, and right. stay sharp and do yep. things you would do in pressure situations. So I just wonder if there's if that might be an answer, though, right? I mean, if, if, let's just say if it's 10, you're done. <laughs> right. <laughs> it right. might have been all right. Well, that's, you know, in, in certainly some some leagues, not, not necessarily soccer, there are 10-run rules, right. you know, in baseball, yeah. whatever, and uh, softball has some rules like that, the, the slaughter rules, they we used to call them when we were younger. This was definitely that. And I noticed that uh, a couple of those goals in that thirteen to nothing game were were made in extra time. So, you know, they were they were continuing to play hard. Which <laughs> right. I, listen, that's fine. Continue to play hard. Right. right. Um, and so, what, what Team USA did after the after winning that game uh, for the second game against Chile, they started a, not an entirely new team, but almost an entirely new team um, for for the for the purpose of having everybody have experience of 
you know, critical time soccer and the idea being it would be beneficial when it gets to the important games in the quarter semifinals, that sort of thing. So we'll, we'll continue to follow the, the Women's World Cup. And, um, uh, and speaking of celebrations, I got to tell you, Saturday afternoon, I found myself uh, flipping around. The Royals, I think, had a night game. Sporting wasn't playing. U.S. Open was on the West Coast, so it didn't, you know, Gary Woodland wasn't going to start until later in the day. So it's around noon, one o'clock. So I, I, I go on uh, Fox Sports, Fox Sports Midwest, where I where I watch the Royals, and there's the Blues Parade, and it's silly. Those parades are just silliness, but I watched and I watched and I watched, and I had fun watching it. And <laughs> and so they get to the stage, you know. And we remember when the Royals got to the stage, and um, uh, it was Johnny Gomes with the American flag. That was the sort of the uh, the thing everybody talked about at for the Royals parade a few years ago with the Blues parade <laughs> this I was amazed by this the players come up and and they get in you know they they get on platforms so they're all in order the administrators are there the trainers the coaches the GM everybody they're all carrying a Bud Light bottle and pounding Bud Light on stage it was very St. Louis to me, and, and like having thirty Johnny Gomes up there, right? <laughs> yes, it's, it's, yes. <laughs> and the and, and of course, you know, they're they're toasting the fans, and the fans are toasting back because they've all got the the blue bottled Bud Light, you know. And it was it was fun to see. You know, I've got to say, as a Kansas City, the numbers weren't as great there as they were here, but it was an impressive sight. And the other thing I mentioned to you earlier, maybe before we got started, is that. That airing of the parade did a pretty. It was the it was the the most watched show on cable in that time slot in Kansas City. So from noon to three o'clock, that was including that includes ESPN, Food Network, other you know, <laughs> the the Blues Parade. That's amazing. Um, and it, look, you can see why for reasons we've talked about a little bit before. Some sense of, of proximity and connectivity and some St. Louis expats and relatives and stuff but i think also there's something about the hockey player celebration that captures the imagination a little bit right these guys are out among them in ways that i don't think the royals were close to that way on along the parade route i mean these guys are coming over royals probably pretty much stayed on their floats right that's I mean, right they did or it's a, yeah they did and you make a good point because whoever was carrying the cup and they took turns yeah. doing that you know had all the fans touch it pose with it um, which is a wonderful, wonderful tradition in that sport. <laughs> um, I, I saw some guys shotgunning beers with <laughs> with, with the fans, um, and, and, and they got lucky with the weather. It had rained overnight, and they yeah. expected maybe to have some rain during the day, and it cleared out. They actually had sunshine for the for the stage setting. I, I was uh, I was so happy for the folks in St. Louis. Part of the thing too, and and, and uh, of course, this was a celebration of the Blues, not a denunciation of the Rams, but. Uh, our our colleague Tom Timmerman over at the Post Dispatch tweeted that somebody had put out a Rams banner on Market Street that was being run over by everything on the <laughs> on the parade, which I thought was pretty cool. That was cool. So, hats off to the Rams. Or to, to, sorry, <laughs> it's okay. To the Blues, they're on to, our mind. To the Blues. How, what do you think of my idea of uh, trading? Uh, have a Chiefs Blues trade. We trade one preseason Chiefs game for a regular season Blues game at Sprint Center. They get uh, Edwards Jones Dome, whatever they call it now. A Chiefs preseason game, and we'll take a Blues around in the holidays. I would think. I, look. I love that idea. I've thought for a while that the Chiefs might mess around with the idea of an ex preseason game over there, just but only 
in in my silly imagination, I don't have anything to base that on, but I like the idea of it being a trade. Yes. And and uh, I I think it's interesting. There's a little bit of a we might have talked about this last week. There's a little bit of a reluctance in some circles over there to embrace the Chiefs because of the feeling of Clark Hunt having allowed being part of allowing the Rams to go. On the other hand, the Chiefs are kind of a phenomenon right now because of Patrick Mahomes. And who, say, who, who didn't hurt himself by yeah, showing up in a blues jersey no. for game with three in the and Stanley Cup. At least final. appearing to guzzle a beer. That yes. uh, didn't hurt him either. Right. So you've got sort of these, these different dynamics in play that I think are kind of interesting. And I think that it, it's no longer a KMOX, by the way, which is has the largest reach, but it's on 590. The Chiefs are still on 590 all the time over there. So I, I don't know. I, I think. It would be interesting to see in the next four, five, six, seven years how much of this stuff folds together more. Okay, so that's that's our challenge to Mark Donovan: get this done. Yeah. Um, take a take a preseason game there, not the third one. You always want the third one to be, you know, that's that's the big one, always the big one. If you've got that at home, like the Chiefs do this year, you want that. But uh, if it's any of the other four, take one over and. Um, Is it the sort of thing, like Blair, that that? Local merchants would revolt against, or it's not quite the way it would be in a, a college town college that loses, town, loses I, a game, plays yeah, out of town. I, I don't. I wouldn't think so. I, I don't. Fan, the perception of fans might be the bigger. Right. Question, exactly. Right? And you'd have to make some sort of adjustment to a season ticket price because it's you, you basically when you buy a cheap season ticket, it's for ten games, two right. in the preseason and and eight at home. So anyway, all right, Vahe, always great to talk to you. Thanks for stopping by. Same, Blair. Thank you. How is this feel? You want to see some f***ing emotions? We're Stanley Cup champions, baby! Links to the stories we discuss can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Big thanks to our producers, Kathy Lou and Leah Becerra. This has been Sports Beat KC, a sports podcast of the Kansas City Star. I've been your host, Blair Kirkhoff. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon to talk sports in Kansas City. On today's episode of Sports Beat Kansas City, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast, the, what did I call it? Sports Beat Kansas City. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I, I, I was going formal. I, know. <laughs> I'm on, I was feeling very formal. <laughs>